Welcome to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the life, times, and works of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe. This is episode 126, Poe's Dream Poems. I try to begin and end each episode with an excerpt from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Poe's favorite song. Those who dream by day are cognizant of many things that escape those who dream only by night. All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. These words by Edgar Allan Poe deal with the subject of dreams, a topic that runs throughout many of his works. Now, if you turn, uh, tuned in to listen to uh, several episodes about Poe at the University of Virginia, well, I'm afraid I'm going to need to disappoint you and postpone those episodes until next month. You see, this July the 28th, I'm supposed to interpret Shakespeare's Richard III for the Indianapolis Shakespeare Company at the Awesome Taggart Amphitheater in Riverside Park, Indianapolis. This version of Richard III should be especially interesting because it combines two art forms, Shakespeare and rap music, into basically a hip-hop version of Richard III. They call it Ricky III. Check out some of the videos of interpreters for the Dev signing rap music in American Sign Language, and I think you'll see what I mean. Most are, are really awesome, so it should be a lot of fun. More about that later. Now, uh, I had interpreted uh, Richard III before. Uh, uh, Richard III is Shakespeare's second longest play, but uh, this version has been edited down to about two hours. I was certainly going to mention the play in this podcast, but uh, wondered what Richard III had to do or could possibly have any connection with uh, Edgar Poe. Finally, it came to me that Shakespeare, especially in Richard III, and Edgar Poe, especially in his more supernatural poems, have a great deal to do with each other, especially in the area of dreams. In a future episode, I'm going to talk about the three sections of Richard III where William Shakespeare specifically uses some very interesting dreams to further the action. And the ghost of Mr. Shakespeare will be here me will be here to help me for that. Well, anyway, uh, I'd like to say a little bit about dreams and literature. Dreams, of course, have been used throughout literature, back to the very beginning. Uh, in Homer's epic poem, the Iliad, the god Zeus uses a false dream to convince Agamemnon to attack the city of Troy. Or think of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Here, Ebenezer Scrooge experiences what are usually interpreted as extended dreams where he encounters the ghost of Christmas, the ghost of Christmas present, and uh, the horrifying ghost of Christmases yet to come. That's ghost of Christmas past, ghost of Christmas present, and the horrifying ghost of Christmas yet to come. In uh, Wuthering Heights by Jane Austen, the characters are often guided by their dreams. In Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll used what could be interpreted as a dream within a dream setting. 
In the novel, Alice becomes lost in a dream state to make connections and subtle observations on her waking life, something I'm sure we all do. Of course, no list of dreams in literature would be complete without mentioning the interpretation of dreams by Sigmund Freud. The great psychologist writes that activity in our unconscious mind can be interpreted. Fred, uh, Freud, <laughs> Fred, Freud theorizes that dreams are all forms of wish fulfillment or an attempt by the sleeping mind to produce a, a solution from unresolved issues in our past. Freud even has a connection to Poe. You see, Princess Marie Bonaparte, yes, one of those Bonapartes, was a member of Freud's inner circle. Not surprisingly, she was quite wealthy and was able uh, to pay the Germans to allow Freud to leave Germany and avoid Nazi persecution. Marie Bonaparte became a lay analyst and writer of many papers and books. Her most ambitious task was a 700-page psychobiography of Edgar Allan Poe. She was fascinated by the writer's gothic stories with the return to life of dead persons and the eerie, unexpected turns of events. Her fascination with Poe can be traced to the similarity of her early traumatic life experiences with those of Poe. I'm currently reading her psychobiography. It takes quite a while, and it can get pretty dense. Uh, the psychobiography of Poe Online in preparation for several future episodes about Marie Bonaparte and Poe. And I'll be getting into some of the many, many occasions where Shakespeare has lines about dreams in future in a future episode this month. Uh, I could go on and on and on, but let's get back to Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, much of Poe's work takes place in a dreamlike atmosphere. Even his most famous work, The Raven, has an unreal quality. The narrator writes, While I pondered, nearly napping, you can almost see him trying to stay awake, half aware and half in an altered state. And I think the pit and the pendulum especially has a definite dreamlike quality. As the narrator undergoes horrible forms of torture, often not sure uh, of what is happening, with uh, like, are the walls closing in? Uh, what do I do with the rats crawling over me? Uh, in this case, the stuff that nightmares are made of. Well, I could, again, go on and on and on talking about the dreamlike qualities of many of Poe's works, from terrors at night to supernatural expressions of love. But today, I want to... Uh, concentrate on three poems by Edgar Allan Poe that specifically have the word dream in their titles. These are poems where Poe specifically deals with dreams in general. They are not used as a forerunner of something specific that happens in the future, such as Shakespeare's description of three dreams in Richard III. Now, these three poems by Poe include a dream, Dreamland, and, of course, A Dream Within a Dream, with an earlier version of that poem. Some really fascinating stuff. Well, hello, Mr. Poe. Greetings, Mr. Bartley. I am here ready to talk 
about the University of Virginia. Uh, Well, uh, actually, Mr. Poe, I've decided to continue and deal with that area next month. That is certainly surprising to me, but, but I guess eventually I must realize it is your podcast. Thank you, Mr. Poe, for being so understanding. Now, see, my reasoning is this. In a few weeks, I'm going to be the ASL interpreter for a production of Richard III. And in my attempts to find a topic to compare your works with uh, Richard III, I decided to do some episodes about the use of three of or so of your works that deal specifically with dreams, as well as three dreams used to further the plot in Richard III. Now, uh, would you be able to talk about dreams? One might say that there are few areas that I enjoy more. In 1827, I wrote a poem that was later given the title simply, A Dream. The poem is a lyric poem that first appeared without a title in Tamerlane and other poems. Uh, Could you explain uh, what a lyric poem is? Certainly. A lyric poem is simply a private expression of emotion by an individual speaker. One might say that the narrator's dream of joy departed in a dream causes him to compare and contrast the dream state with broken-hearted reality. And uh, could you clarify exactly when the poem received a title? I believe its title was attached when it was published in Alaraf, Tamerlane, and Minor Poems in 1829. Dreamland. A wilder being from my birth, my spirit spurned control. But now, abroad on the wide earth, where wanderest thou my soul? In visions of the dark night, I have dreamed of joy departed, but a waking dream of life and light hath left me broken-hearted. And what is not a dream by day to him whose eyes are cast on things around him with a ray turned back upon the past? That holy dream, that holy dream, while all the world were chiding, hath cheered me as a lovely beam, a lonely spirit guiding. What though that light through misty night so dimly shone afar, what could there be more purely bright in truth's day star? A dream could be interpreted as a poem in which I expressed my inability to distinguish between the dream and reality because I was exceedingly haunted or haunted by memories of a dream of joy departed. I believe that uh, one of your biographers, the great author Hobson Quinn, called the poem one of your finest creations with each phrase contributing to one effect a human traveler wandering between life and death. Now, remember that Dreamland was a poem that I wrote in 1844, five years before my earthly demise. In the poem Dreamland, I wanted to indicate the dream voyager's arrival in and decision to remain in an extraterrestrial place somewhere beyond time and space. 
the destination is a, a forsaken landscape of mountains toppling evermore into seas without a shore and filled with gothic images of ghouls dwelling by dismal tams and pools, shapes of dark memory and a general sense of loss and anguish. Yet the dream voyager perceives the beauty within the horror, a peaceful, soothing region that can never be apprehended by the rational restraints of the waking state. Never its mysteries are exposed to the weak human eye unclosed. Mr. Poe, how would you compare a dream from 1827 to Dreamland, written 14 years later in 1844? That is a most interesting question. I believe that the general sense of loss and anguish is as stark in Dreamland as in the earlier poem, although it could be argued that the terrain is much darker and the images far more frightening. In the 17 years since the publication of the earlier poem, I believe I eliminated the subtleties in which I first viewed my faculties as clouded with a ray. In the latter poem, I attempted to turn them to more horrific scenes of chaos, ghouls, and, and intense feelings of loss and pain. Despite such images, however, I remained hopeful. I asserted that within the dark realm filled with frightening shapes exists a peaceful and beautiful place that people can reach, but only in their dreams. Mr. Poe, could you tell us about the poem's publication history? Ah, yes. Dreamland first appeared in the June 1844 issue of Graham's Magazine and was republished in the June 28, 1845 issue of the Broadway Journal. Well, Mr. Poe, you probably know what I'm going to ask next. Uh, could you uh, favor us with a rendition of Dreamland? Certainly. By the dismal tams and pools where dwell the ghouls, by each spot the most unholy, in each nook most melancholy, there the traveler meets a guest, sheeted memories of the past, shrouded forms that start and sigh as they pass the wanderer by. White-robed forms of friends long given, in agony to the worms and heaven. By a route obscure and lonely, haunted by ill angels only, where an Eildadon named Night on a black throne reigns upright. I have journeyed home but newly from this ultimate dim Thule, for the heart whose woes are legion, tis a peaceful, soothing region. For the spirit that walks in shadow, tis, oh, tis an El Dorado, but the traveler, traveling through it, may not, dare not openly view it. Never its mysteries are exposed to the weak human eye unclosed. So wills the king, who hath forbid the uplifting of the fringed lid. And thus the sad soul that, that here passes beholds it, but through darkened glasses. By a route 
obscure and lonely, haunted or hanted by ill angels only, where an Eldalon named Night on a black throne reigns upright. I have wandered home, but newly from this ultimate dim thule. With a dreaming eye, let none of the earth inherit that vision on my spirit. Those thoughts I would control as a spell upon his soul for that bright hope at last and that light time have passed and my worldly rest hath gone with a sight as it passed on. I care not though it perish with the thought I then did cherish. And with that, let's go into your masterpiece of dream poems, A Dream Within a Dream. Ah, yes, A Dream Within a Dream. It was first published on on the March 31st, 1849 edition of the Boston-based story paper, The Flag of Our Union. Unfortunately, the next month, Owner Frederick Gleason announced he could no longer pay for whatever articles or poems if published. I'm sorry, Mr. Poe. Well, be that as it may, in A Dream Within a Dream, I attempted to question what is needed to distinguish between a dream and reality. I stated firmly at the end of the first stanza, all we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. In the second stanza, I attempted to express the torment of not being able to grasp the grains of sand within my hand and ask, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? The realization that I cannot save one grain of sand from the pitiless wave leads to my final question of doubt. Is all that we see or seem but a dream? within a dream. Now, A Dream Within a Dream was written seven months before my earthly demise, and during a time in which I felt an increasing frustration with my writing and more intense feelings of loss. I do feel uh, that it would be appropriate to uh, end this episode with the content of A Dream Within a Dream, but for your purposes, Mr. Bartley, I think it might be quite appropriate, in fact, rather instructive, uh, to look at my poem Imitation first. It certainly does not have the word dream in the title, but was revised several times uh, until it evolved until into a dream within a dream. That could be very interesting. Let me begin with a a brief background. The poem Imitation was first published in my early collection, Tamerlane and Other Poems. The 20-line poem is made up of rhymed couplets where the speaker likens his use use to a dream as his reality becomes more and more difficult. It has been considerably autobiographical, considered autobiographical, possibly, uh, because it was written during deepening strains in my relationship with John Allen. Let me interject here. If this is your first time listening to Celebrate Poe, John Allen was Poe's foster father. John Allen never formally adopted Edgar, and their relationship was stormy, to say the least. 
I assume now that you are ready for my poem, Imitation. Imitation, a dark, unfathomed tide of interminable pride, a mystery and a dream, should my earthly life seem. I say that dream was fraught with a wild and waking thought of beings that have been which my spirit hath not seen. Had I let them pass me by with a dreaming eye, let none of earth inherit that vision on my spirit. Those thoughts I would control as a spell upon his soul for that bright hope at last and that light time have passed and my worldly rest hath gone with a sight as it passed on. I care not though it perish with a thought I then did cherish. Thank you, Mr. Poe, for bringing that to my attention, as though it's somehow preparation for a dream within a dream. Now, I know that critic Don P. Sova has written that in the allegory of the cave in Plato's Republic, the Republic, and this is going somewhere, Plato postulates that prisoners chained together in a cave with the fire behind them and facing a wall on which their flickering shadows appear come to view those shadows as reality. Even when removed from the cave and confronted with objects in the real world, they will reject this reality in favor of the reality, and I like to put reality in quotation marks, that they've come to accept the flickering shadows on the wall. In a similar matter, it seems that you, as the author of A Dream Within a Dream, question if everything that you and the reader experiences and sees is merely a dream, which leaves reality beyond your grasp. So, uh, would you favor us with A Dream Within a Dream? Certainly. A dream within a dream. Take this kiss upon the brow, and in parting from you now, thus much let me avow. You are not wrong who deem that my days have been a dream. Yet if hope has flown away, in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, is it therefore the less gone? All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep, while I weep, while I weep. Oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? Oh God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem but a dream? Within a dream? Yes, Mr. Bartley, I, I do hope that the poem communicates the confusion felt by the narrator as he watches the important things in life slip away. Understanding that he cannot hold on to even one grain of sand, he is led to his final question of whether all things are just a dream. Yes, Mr. Poe, I can certainly see your point. 
You know, it has been suggested that the golden sand referenced in the 15th line signifies the sand which is found in an hourglass. In other words, time itself. Thank you, Mr. Bartley. I I do hope that you have learned something about the importance of dreams in my works. Farewell. Farewell, Mr. Poe. You know, to paraphrase the Wizard of Oz's line, people come and go so quickly here, you could say, in this case, Mr. Poe comes and goes so quickly here. Now, uh, as uh, far as uh, future episodes are concerned, originally I intended to do three poems by Poe dealing with dreams in this episode, and I hope that I have. (laughs) Then the next episode, I was going to deal with three sections of Richard III dealing with dreams. But I found out that the subject of a dream within a dream on Christopher Nolan's movie, Inception, was going to require an episode of its own. So I had to put one in there for next week. That episode is entitled, Is Inception a Dream Within a Dream? Uh, Inception is considered by many to be one of the best, if not the best, science fiction movie ever made. Now, saying the movie Inception is a complex film uh, is, is an understatement from what I understand. The movie builds on the concept of a dream within a dream and stars Leonardo DiCaprio as a professional thief who steals information by infiltrating the subconscious of his targets. He's offered a chance to have his criminal history erased as payment for the implantation of uh, another person's idea into a target's subconscious. And all this is done through the very complex use of dreams on various levels. Uh, I have not seen the movie yet. Uh, I'm still waiting for a copy to come through from the library uh, this week. And uh, so uh, I'll be back with you about that, and I'm sure I'll be really, uh, really hepped up uh, from what I've read about seeing the movie Inception for the first time. So join Celebrate Poe for a very special episode next week. Is Inception a Dream Within a Dream? Sources include a critical companion to Edgar Allan Poe, a literary reference to his life and work by Don P. Sova, Edgar Allan Poe, a critical biography by author Hobson Quinn, The Poe Log, a documentary life of Edgar Allan Poe by Dwight R. Thomas and David K. Jackson, Edgar Allan Poe, The Man, by Mary E. Phillips, and the National Library of Medicine website. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.